one of the beautiful things about marketing or even technology is the fact that you can work in almost any industry because the fundamentals are the same. Welcome to the Marketing Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. Join your host, Dots Oyobulu, as he learns from CMOs, seasoned marketers, and agency owners about the state of marketing, strategic marketing insights, and actionable steps for growth. Connect the dots and enjoy the latest episode. This episode is brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. If you're a business needing content promotion, podcast campaign production, or are looking to build effective B2B marketing strategies, Dots is here to offer you ultimate marketing leadership and expertise. Find out more at www.dotslovesmarketing.com. Hi, marketers. This is Dots, and welcome to the Marketing Leadership Podcast. With me here is Taiwo Iwonek, lead mentor at Latin Startups. We will be talking about scaling with the right product market fit. I know you guys are ready, so let's get it. Welcome, Taiwo. How are you doing? Hi, Doctor. Thanks for having me here. I'm great. How are you yourself? Oh, I'm good. Thank you so much. So, you know, it's an incredible honor to have you on our podcast. We've obviously gone a long way. So listeners, just full disclosure that. Could you please tell us more about yourself, your background and your role? Have you found yourself in the position in which you've been, you are in right now? Thanks for that. I'll try to be brief about it, but I started, I think after I left secondary school or high school, as some people might know it as, there was a short period where I just said, I didn't really know what to do. I said, okay, well, am I just going to technology then was a software program in the days of Visual Basic. And I jumped into it, did a training, some training with that. But after I started walking on the streets and putting my hands together out there, doing like I'm typing and coding as well, I just told myself, I may not last very long and this guy is going to consume my entire life. I think the following year, I had an opportunity to start doing things around graphic design. And I've always been artistic and worked from a very young age. So I got into university and I think we had a long break. And my older brother spoke to somebody who had a design shop or a design studio. And so I went and interned with him. So I started out with graphic design as well. And I did that for quite a bit. And that's how I really got into marketing. But I never left the technology side of me because I went on to doing other things around there. Things like hardware assembly, system administration, networking, even co-designing softwares and building softwares on other people as well. Web development, so on and so forth. But I did that alongside a marketing career, which spanned things. Well, then we used to call it new media nowadays. You call it digital marketing. You know, things around video production, did things around events. I've done things around brand management, customer relations, or client servicing, as you would refer to in an agency. But one of the beautiful things about marketing or even technology is the fact that you can work in almost any industry because the fundamentals are the same. And once you understand that, it just takes you across on a journey across multiple disciplines. So I've worked in the aviation sector. I remember that the first massive billboards I did, you know, it actually was the first for that airline back then, I don't know if you remember, Aero Contractors back in Nigeria was the first big billboard advertising they ever did, outdoor advertising they ever did then. And I was responsible for the printing that and delivering that to them and also getting them to put it up there. So it's been an interesting journey, an interesting ride. And some years ago, about five years ago, six years now, actually, 
Yeah, so I knew I wanted to work with, I wanted to expand my scope by what I did then. I've always been also entrepreneurial. I've always had some business or some side hustle, as you would say, while I kept a nine to five. And I also felt that I wanted to be able to provide support to startups, even whether it's from some of the experiences that I had and some failures and some successes, but, and also from the wealth of experience that I gained working in different corporate organizations as well. So I sort of deviated, even though I was still within the marketing space, but I moved gradually into that advisory space. And I've been in that space till now, even though I still do bits of marketing here and there, still kept in touch to remain relevant, you know, kept up to date to remain relevant. And so right now, that's where I am advising startups. Yeah, so working with startups, advisor, and even advising them in different areas. Yeah, that's awesome. I would imagine your career, even at its most tangible element, the marketing career has probably spanned over 20 years. I can say that for a fact. And I would also argue that it can't get any better than this at the spot where you are with helping startups to grow and knowing that marketing is a big part of that. You need economics and why people need to approach that with purpose every time. So that's really admirable with regards to your career. And I also know that you're a marketing god as well. I have known you for 10 years now. And again, with startups, mentorship is what you do. You do, you actually mentored me to be the person who is experienced enough to do Dots Loves Marketing. So how do you think your experience will help startups going forward? What do you think has been the practices that startups take involving marketing that has not been ideal? And what do you think your influence is in trying to change that or move that forward or make things better? As we've had all kinds of startup scandals in the, just in the past couple of years and some still occurring. So what have you seen in the industry? What are some of the opportunities for impact that you've seen as well? Especially from the marketing perspective, trying to stay on topic here. Thanks for the kind words, Susan. I wouldn't call myself a god. I know for a fact that there are several other people who are brilliant at it than I am. I've been more of a generalist, picking up bits and pieces here, but I mean, the fundamentals are the same. And in dealing with startups, and it's just understanding that every startup is different and is made up of three primary components, which is one, the founder, and lyrics, well, the experiences. There's the team as well. So whether it's one founder or the team of people or the founder inclusive with the advisors. And when I mean team, I'm talking about the dynamics and the relationships between all of them at the end of the day. And then there's the output, which is relative to the market in itself. So is one the founder? There's the team or the company itself, the startup itself that you're trying to birth or you're trying to launch. And then there's the product or the service that you're trying to render. And all of that is also related to the environment that you're in. So it's understanding the various nuances. The number one thing is also, it's always trying to get them to appreciate that what they don't know, appreciate what the environment requires for their startups to grow and to bloom in that sense. And it's always the biggest challenge. Once you can cross that hurdle as an entrepreneur, your chances for success have increased much more significantly. In other words, what I'm saying is that you must know, you must be able to realize that there's a lot more that you don't know than what it is at any given time. There's your solution or your version of the solution may not be what the market will accept. So it's always very important. And it doesn't diminish your wealth of experience. It doesn't diminish your skill set. It doesn't diminish your capacity to be able to do any other things there. In fact, what it does, it actually adds to it and enhances it. And you will see when you begin to add your own personal touches, because once you're more familiar with or more comfortable with accepting feedback from the external point of view, 
whether it's from advisors or from the market, I guess, speaking to potential users and so on and so forth. You can see all of those things come through in that sense that way. But from a marketing standpoint, I mean, I think there's a lot of hype and that's what led to some of the bubbles or some of the, what you refer to as scandals. But there's a lot of hype out there and marketing can be good for hype. It can be good for you to sort of monitor your image or the image of your brand and so on and so forth. But there's nothing worse than marketing something that doesn't, it's not a hundred percent there. There's nothing worse than marketing or developing an industry or sector that is still at its very nascent stages. And I see that with even with Jeff GPT. There's a lot of hype around it, but there are some people speaking about the potential in terms of potential dangers or pitfalls that we might fall into in going to artificial intelligence. And that's very important to pay some attention to in that sense. And a lot of this hype and so on and so forth is one of the that's marketing directly or indirectly at the end of the day. It's about creating a desire for people to want your product or service in that sense. So there's that, there's a lot of hype out there. One of the things I also see that a lot of startups also make is the fact that they want to do too many things at the same time with regards to marketing. They want to do too many things with limited budgets. You don't need to be on every platform. You don't need to use every medium or every channel about marketing to be able to push your product or service out there. It's not a must. For example, there is this analogy that I use with regards to social media, which is probably the most popular digital marketing avenue right there out there right now. And it's the fact that the way you communicate on LinkedIn, for example, is not necessarily the same way you communicate on Instagram. Messaging might be the same, or the context of that messaging might vary. And the reason is because the way people consume information on LinkedIn is completely different from the way they consume information on Instagram. And I'm not talking about just scrolling through and reading through. All that are just connect the characteristics of what social media is. They have a picture, a video, and some text, and so on and so forth. That's the combination. That's the form in, the, in which it comes. But in terms of consumption, it means the mental state of people at the time they do that consumption. So when people are on LinkedIn, you can find them by their government names, which means their official names as it is on their birth certificates. But when you're on Instagram, it's almost impossible to find a lot of people by their real names on Instagram. They were designed deliberately to have those things in mind. Whereas LinkedIn pays, recognizes that you do have a government name and it's for more official types of relationships and so on and so forth. Instagram, on the other hand, is way less formal than Instagram and that LinkedIn would be. And I try to, one of the ways to appreciate what kind of platform you're on when you're on it and so on and so forth, is to look at physical points of convergence or reasons why people come together. So I liken the LinkedIn to a typical business club. That could be anything. So it could be an elite club, could be a business club for maybe an airline business club or something with some points, point loyalty system that's for an elite group of people. Instagram, on the other hand, would be a typical from a lounge to like maybe a, just a traditional nightclub in itself where you go dancing and you dance through the night, you have drinks and so on and so forth like that. Because it's all about the glitz and the glamour for that. It's about relaxed, really there to talk business. You're there to just have fun, forget your worries and just move on from that in that sense. So when you're in a lounge in a nightclub, the way you dress will be completely different from the way you would dress when you're in your office or in a business club meeting at the end of the day. And the kind of language you use, the kind of conversations, kind of communications you would have, even the kind of food that will be served at certain events or functions that you go to office, are they different? So take Snapchat, for example, like that. Snapchat is, would be akin to your 
the gentleman's club, which they would call maybe a strip club, and so on and so forth like that because of the snap, the disappearing feature. And so, because what happens in the strip club stays there in most cases. I don't know how many people come out. I don't know. I've never been to one, so I don't know. But from people, they don't come out and come and talk about what happened in there. What happens in there stays there because no cameras, no all of those things, kind of things like that, because they want to keep it private. And people go there to sort of just forget who they are and they're away from reality. And that's what you see in something like Snapchat. So you do that thing for that moment. The people that see it, see it. The people that don't, oh, they lose out, kind of thing like that. And that's the kind of environment Snapchat is. Now, if you understand that, if you understand where to find your audience, it's easier to know how to communicate and how to reach out to them. And all of these things I've just said has come down to four critical things there and the four commandments. Number one, knoweth thy customer, who thy customer is, knoweth what thy customer wants, knoweth where to find thy customer, and knoweth how thy customer speaks. And once you understand those four critical things as a basis in any marketing endeavor, then it's easier to be able to reach them and develop craft a good marketing strategy, whether you're a one-deal startup or you're a hundred-year-old organization. But that's where everything starts. Yeah, that's awesome. And of course, listeners, you probably think, oh, there's so much value to unpack here. But just to give us some summary, things you guys need to take into cognizance based on what Taiwo has said is, first of all, if you are a startup or a startup, a marketer helping a startup, you don't try to do everything at the same time. I think that's a completely legit advice because I also follow the CEO of Slide B. I'm sure you're probably familiar with that brand. Nate Dex for startups in the Silicon Valley area helped people raise over 300 million. And he was also very specific on this as well, which is you have you need to understand, again, back to those followers you mentioned, and that will inform the kind of club. If we're going to use that club and under the kind of club that you want to listen to, I would also like to remind us listeners or what or viewers about the hype that was also mentioned. So ChatGPT is here, but let's also remember the AE80 rule that Google is using that looks at things around relevance, looks at things around authority, and so on. But things that are not as automated right now, or may not even be automated in a long time. So it's important to embrace strengths. However, make sure that trend fits into your roadmap, fits into your strategy as a startup or GE calls themselves the 100 year old startup. Regardless of where you are as a marketing professional or an entrepreneur, it's basically making sure that there is purpose. You are connecting the dots. We say that a lot on this channel and you are making sure everything points to success. So moving on here. You mentioned something about knowing your customer and I would like us to dive into that in a little bit. Looking at target personas and their path to purchase. How do you typically work with startups to deliver insights on how their offerings is targeted towards an audience segment? How do you have that product market fit, if we, to put it directly? So it's a combination of different things and understanding your customer sometimes takes time. Never mind the tautology. Sometimes you can get it right away and other times it takes you forever. It takes you a bit longer to be able to decipher exactly what it is they want. But I give this analogy because I do in some sessions I facilitate and all of the analogies I give is, let's say you wanted to sell, you want to start a business and you're like, what kind of business can I do that will give me quick returns, product-based business. I sell something, somebody pays me cash and that's it. When you move on from there, say, okay, I want to go into the business of selling computers. What kind of computers? Not many people use desktops anymore, so maybe I'll do laptops. Okay, you want to do laptops. 
which makes you further narrowing down what you're looking for, which means you're looking for people who are usually on the go or they have desktops, but they need something on the go. So if the laptop uses vary from a child just for educational purposes to a laptop for doing work that would fetch you millions of dollars in that sense. So it could be for video production. It could be for software programming. It could be for cryptocurrency mining, for example. It could vary from anything to anything like that. And narrowing down based on what your Intel capabilities are, which is where you start from, to say, what do I have capacity? Because if you want to go to the extent of people who are doing laptops or cryptocurrency mining, or even gaming, high-end gamers, and so on and so forth like that. Actually, most high-end gamers will probably build their own desktops and build their own computers. For people who are mid-tier, maybe they need something on the go. They might look to you if you have certain offerings, but realistically, very serious high-end gamers that earn a lot of money from this would build out their own rig. So he crossed out some segment of that market by knowing that. And why I'm saying so is that if you don't, you need to do some research to find out the length and breadth of who needs or who are the people that typically use laptops. I'm sure there's some research there online somewhere or through some research done publication that shows you trends, who's buying laptops and why they're buying laptops and where, what age demographics and so on and so forth like that. To people buying laptops for just going for presentation during consulting and they didn't want something small, nimble that they can use to plug on for their presentations as well to people that need laptops for maybe they're doing a project. They're going to use it for one month and then they're going to throw it away at the end of the day and so on and so forth like that. You're going to have to worry about things like software licensing for some of those. You could worry about that depending on the kind of service you're providing, if it's a one-off service or if it's all-inclusive service, depending on what kind of thing you want to do and so on and so forth. But once you narrow down on the kind of people that you want, it also partly answers the second question, which is what do your customers want? So the first one is who they are, people who want to buy laptops. The second one is what do they want, which means what kind of laptops do they want? And that's after you've narrowed down on who your customer sort of is in that sense. So what kind of laptops do my customers want? Are you focusing on people who are doing into consulting? They want something nimble they can carry with them. Are you focusing on families who are looking to buy like Chromebooks or laptops for their children for educational purposes? Or are you looking focusing on people who are using laptops for gaming? Or are you focusing on people who are using laptops for work and so on and so forth like that? At the end of the day like that, I want you to narrow it down on what you Some people want laptops that are just rugged. They don't care whether it's ugly or whatever, but they want laptops that can fall down and won't break apart. Some people are looking for laptops that are all fancy and so on and so forth like that. Some people don't need laptops with a lot of memory. They just want it for just... Some people want laptops just to watch movies. You'll be shocked. So just something they can use to watch movies and so on and so forth at the end of the day. So once you narrow down on that, then it's okay. Where do I find these types of people? And it doesn't have to be one particular segment of the market. You could do multiple segments of the market. Again, like I said, you need to look at your internal capabilities financially, logistically, even in terms of working with partners and supply purposes like that. And this is using the example of a laptop as well. So how many brands do you have? Can you partner with or can you get supply for? How easy would you be able to get the supply and how easy would, it, easy would it be for you just to to fulfill those shipments to them and so on and so forth. So all of those things you need to look into. And then your financial capabilities as well in terms of being able to warehouse and store those things. And then now the question now is where do I find these types of... So let's say you've narrowed down on two segments. And these two segments are for students who are going, they're transitioning from high school to university. And then you say, I want to buy, I want to sell these laptops to them. 
bear in mind, these children may not be able to afford these laptops themselves. So the people you're actually trying to sell to are their parents or their guardians. So you need to take that into account. So that's one segment. Then you have people who are buying laptops for their entertainment gamers, but they're more for entertainment, not necessarily for monetary or compet. They're not necessarily competitive gamers, so they're not necessarily making money from it in that sense. But the entertainment gamers, they love their gaming and they want something they can use to do work and do that as well. And then maybe the third one might be, which is very closely related because they use similar hardware, could be video editors, people that edit videos or people who are into animation maybe even just software development, and they're doing some pretty heavy stuff like that. And there's a, where do I find these kinds of, those are some of the things you want to go to maybe educational fairs, career fairs, or maybe schools, like some of these universities have some of these kind of fairs that they used to recruit, to try and talk about what they're doing and so on and so forth. Maybe those are the kind of places you find them. Maybe you want to reach out through student union bodies and so on and so forth. And different kinds of people you want to reach out to. Maybe you want to join different gaming groups on Facebook or different social media platforms just to be able to reach out to them as well. And you want to go through some of your personal networks and start with those referrals. Either way, your personal networks are usually the first place to start. And then once you find out where they are, then you understand how communication is done in those channels. So for example, if I were to go into a, let's take baseball, for example. I've said it played a dozen ton of times. I don't particularly understand everything. I know what a home run is. I know what a strike is. I know I don't understand this, but I don't understand it extensively enough to be able to speak about it. But I do know that there's certain nuances, there's certain lingua, and so on and so forth, like that go in those communities where you're around people talking baseball and so on and so forth. They're making certain references to certain things like that. How do you connect into those things using that understanding to be able to pass across your, your message and your communication? Now, the messaging could be the same across board. Don't get me wrong. Or let me put it this way, the same person you're trying to sell to is a baseball lover, but that person also works in a technology company. That person also works, that person also has, also goes to church. And that person has children in a recreational center that they go every weekend, for example. Now, let's take all these four locations as four different platforms. Their office is LinkedIn. They're attending baseball games and stuff like that is YouTube. And that's when they're on YouTube or maybe even TikTok. They're going to church is WhatsApp or Telegram. And their recreational place where they go to, whether it's YMC and so on and so forth like that, is to be your typical Facebook in itself. This one person has profiles in all these platforms. And they behave differently when they're in these four different communities, four different environments. And for valid reasons, because each environment has its own guidelines, has its own stipulations or regulations at the end of the day like that. And so if you were to interact with them in any of these four locations, you would interact with them based on the guidelines specified within those communities and those environments. That's it. You don't just keep following them all around and saying, buy my laptop, buy my laptop. It's not going to work. Maybe at the office you can do that because they don't have enough time to do that. But if they're with their children, where their children are swimming and so on and so forth like that, They've got a bit more time, but you're also stealing into their family time. And so they may not be able to pay as much attention to you. If when they are, you're playing baseball, maybe you then have more time and to be able to speak with them because you understand what their nuances are and so on and so forth. If they're in church, their mind is probably on something else. Maybe lunch after church could be something else that you could consider. But my point is this, in communicating and reaching out to them, it already takes us to the fourth point. So you find out where they are. And you found out how communication, understanding how the communication happens in each of those locations in that sense, 
And that's why if you create communication, create stuff, it's the same messaging, which means buy my laptop, but it's spoken differently in each platform. So on LinkedIn, you could say to them, oh, power yourself into productivity in 2023 with this new Dotslov PC and so on and so forth. And then you put all the space there. You go on Instagram or Facebook, you're saying, oh, power your family through 2023 with this Dotslov PC series. There's one even for the children and so forth. Exactly. You're reaching out to them because you talk about recreational centers, you have families there and so on and so forth. And that's one interesting thing. That's why you don't have teenagers on Facebook. Well, they're there, they're not really because they don't want their parents or their guardians seeing what they're doing on social and Facebook. That's where they're constantly looking for other places where they can be isolated in that sense like that. And that's what happens in typical recreational clubs and so on and so forth. As I remember when I was younger, those, you don't want your parents being in your space at those times when you're doing those things like that. So that's how you build a bio persona. And it's really just latching on all the other elements and saying, okay, what are the typical things that happen to somebody? Okay, the person's a family man or a family woman, so on and so forth like that. Is the person, are they married or are they single and they're bearing their responsibilities? I don't know, you know, so all of those things, you then layer it onto it. What's their age like and what kind of level of responsibilities they have in their offices and so on and so forth like that to be able to know how to make you, you draw an average from that, from all of that data. And once you have that put together, then you can have your persona for each individual trench and then know exactly how you want to communicate with them. And the way you communicate with the gamer is different from the way you would communicate with somebody who is buying a laptop for a purely consulting purposes or somebody who is even doing editing. It's completed, but it's the same message by my laptop. Yeah, this is just awesome. And for all us listeners, if you haven't subscribed, then you should, because this is premium content. And I'll tell you guys why. Now, Harvard, I don't think they could take credit for this, but the Harvard Business Review popularized the concept of the job to be done. And what they are saying is that when you're finding product market fit, focus more on the psychographics rather than demographics. What many marketers even till today, still do, is they prioritize on the demographics first, age, where they are located, and so that now generate pointers or factors or signals, rather than the psychographics, which is what Taiwan just explained right now, in terms of who they are, what they want. What they want is the job to be done. That I want my, I want the laptop that does this. That's the job to be done. Then going down to where I can find them. Again, if you look at how Taiwan broke that down, he didn't talk about, oh, do a spray and pray on YouTube or do a spray and pray on all social media channels. Using the social club analogy and walking his way from the bottom of the channel, which is where main impact is always felt, up to the top. So if you are a marketer here, well, whether you work with startups or not, I think the same rule applies in terms of finding this product market fit and looking at ways to get the target audience that you want. And for startups, this might definitely delay what we call the MVP. But you need to know, just as Taiwan said, that finding the right product market fit or the right audience takes time. It's usually 75% strategy and research and 25% implementation. Because when you get to that implementation, you get more results than someone else who had swapped the process over by prioritizing more the implementation and doing 25% strategy. So with that said, Taiwo, if you look at, there is the concept of the customer acquisition verticals in the startup world, especially the marketing verticals, like mobile apps, 
podcasts, special communities, B2B e-commerce. You know, if you're an e-commerce store, you want to launch on Costco, you want to launch on Shopify, you want to launch on Amazon. These customer acquisition verticals, verticals of which sometimes would have their own marketing ecosystems. So this is definitely different from individual channels. From your experience working with startups, what do you think are the other types of verticals that people have used? What do you think are the best ones? What do you think are the other kinds that people need to consider going forward? The easiest for any startup is really understanding. I mean, well, you need to, well, let me start by saying this. Sometimes it's not easy to narrow down on who your specific target, even when you narrow down your specific target audience, sometimes you still need to dig deeper. There's sometimes a subset of the sub of the main persona that you've identified. And then let me use the analogy of the laptops again. So you've narrowed down on, let's even say people in high school or high school to university and so on and so forth like that. But they then say they want laptops. So you've narrowed down that those are the people you want to sell laptops to. But the majority of the schools are using Windows-based software that are going to run their laptops and not Mac Apple-based. But maybe traditionally in your home, you've always been Apple-based, Macs and the likes. But their schools, their universities that they're going to are Windows-based. So they're going to just have challenges with the Windows-based environment and that's it. While there's an opportunity to sell them MacBooks and so on and so forth like that, at a higher price, maybe you make more money from it and so on and so forth like that. It's not going to serve their purpose because where they're going to use it is the Windows-based environment, which they don't really have any control over at the end of the day in that sense. So sometimes you need to narrow it down to a subset of that. And you don't know some of these things until you engage with the market. There's something that is typically said, which is have as many conversations as possible. And I'm saying one-on-one conversations. You figure out who you can speak with, who fits your target audience. You schedule interviews with them. 10, 15 minutes, if you're fortunate enough, 20 minutes, you can have with them. And you're typically just trying to understand, like you said, the psychographics. What motivates them to want to buy or pay for that service, if at all? If that service or whatever it is you're rendering makes any sense to any of them at all. And the rule of thumb is to speak to as many as minimal of 50, actually. The more, the better, because then that helps you form a basis for a representative sample. It may not be, but it helps you build on something because you can then say, we spoke to 50 and a certain percentage of them have said this, certain percentage of them have said that, certain percentage of them have said this and so forth. So it's always that one-on-one having those conversations with a potential audience in that sense. Sometimes you can, the difference between equality, and that's a qualitative survey. I heard a speaker say something, and it made absolute sense that some people target it by doing surveys and doing quantitative surveys, which means they put something out online, you go there, fill it, pop on, answer the questions, and they go. Quantitative surveys are good when you're already in the market and you want to benchmark against something. You want to see whether there's a growth in certain metrics that you're measuring. Quantitative survey on the other hand, takes into account more cultural nuances, things that people are used to that you can't really measure on, on a scale of one to 10 kind of thing, even though you will still try to quantify them. But what I was talking about earlier were interviews. And the reason why you do interviews is because people are going to say things in different ways. They're going to be saying the same thing in some instances. And what that helps you do is to understand how people see things in their minds there. You mentioned something about marketers struggling between the psychographics and the demographics. 
And actually, the key, the truth is that most marketers can't tell you what motivates people to buy things or to service. They can tell you what people are going to do or how they're doing it, and that's just, but they can't tell you the reason why, which is why sometimes something's a trend that all of a sudden then drops at the end of the day. So that motivating factor behind it is always a key thing to try and understand. And once you're able to get into their mindset, it's easier to build on it and layer on it there. If you can't as a startup, and I know some people aren't as comfortable speaking to others, especially strangers, having conversations with a stranger, and being patient enough to sometimes explain yourself sometimes over and over, but there are methods to doing this. There are formats and templates that you can follow that can guide you through this, especially as a startup. And that's usually the starting point. The other thing also is this. Don't be in a hurry to start marketing your products. CPG companies understand this very well. And what they do that I've seen quite a number of them do in Africa, and I'm sure they do it in other parts of the world as well, is that the product is always in the market before they start advertising it. Always in the market. They get it into the hands of the sellers, of the retailers first. They start to sell. Then they gather feedback from them. Sometimes it's in the market for six months before you start seeing any advertising. So they gather feedback. Okay, does it need any adjustments? Do we need to adjust the packaging? Do we need to adjust the ingredients or whatever it is and so on and so forth? Whatever makes it up and so on and so forth like that. And that tactile feedback helps them prepare for, even if they're not able to fix everything, but they have that information up front. So that when they start marketing and the market starts to react in that same way, they already have that information. It doesn't take them by surprise. And they have a response to that in terms of how they're going to measure, they're going to respond to that feedback or deal with the responses that people have at the end of the day. So don't always be in a hurry. Always have a small group of people that you're testing it with. Share updates about what you're doing with people that you know. Just share updates with them. Somebody will reach out and tell you, oh, this is brilliant. Maybe you shouldn't say this while you're doing that and that kind of feedback. And I know a startup that does that and they pay brilliantly well. And share updates within your community. Let them be in touch with what you're trying to do as well. Another way you could do it is by getting, it's almost like crowdsourcing feedback. I've seen people do it on Twitter. Forgetting what they're called right now, but there's some groups where you can go on there and just literally just share your ideas with them. You keep providing updates and people are providing you feedback as you're doing what it is you're doing like that in that sense and help you shape it and so on and so forth like that. Marketing is, should always be after the fact. Marketing is like putting gasoline in already burning fire. It should never be used to start that fire. The flame should be ignited and that's what determines a company that lasts a product or a service that lasts longer and the ones that fizzle away very quickly. It should always be that accelerant, not the one that starts the fire in that sense like that. So what I'm saying is that the wood must be dry enough to be able to catch fire and sustain itself for that point. When you see they've tried everything and all of that, then you take marketing to amplify it because a small subset of the market complaining about your product or service and you working on it, taking that feedback, working on it, and so on and so forth is different from having 100,000 people, 10,000 people complain about the product or service. It could kill your entire business, even if you fix all the things they complain about at the end of the day. So never be in a hurry to jump into that ship. Mass marketing, which is what people tend to think that's the only form of marketing. You could do it at events where you're talking to people at events. Always keep it small at first and let it grow organically until it gets to its, until it reaches critical mass and then you know take marketing and amplify it. Yeah, that's awesome. I like the fact that you also touched on best practices 
a lot of best practices shared just now because I was planning to ask you that question actually. I like that in fact that make sure the value of your offering is felt in the market, either by gathering insights, qualitative insights, macro insights, but also even in the product rollout itself, so that you can better improve the product. I think the, this rule still stands, which is if the product is good, it will often sell itself, and then marketing can always be in leverage to that. So really appreciate the fact that you shared some of the best practices there. I'd like to also dive deeper into channels. You did mention that again to our listeners, it's not just about what to pick or not what to pick, it's what really fits, whether it's channels or insight. So B2B podcasting is really, it's the focus of the engine through which this podcast will now like us to talk about that briefly as we round up here. So business messaging in general, from your experience with startups, what are the different ways that they've approached business messaging? Now, I'm talking about business messaging from trying to reach out to whether it's prospects or customers at every decision-making process, or even using different channels, whether it's Facebook Messenger or WhatsApp, or even articles from a B2B perspective, or things like LinkedIn, ABM tools out there. From your experience, how have you seen people using B2B, especially personalized B2B marketing in general? And what are some of the examples of the channels that they've used? I mean, the B2B marketing is, it requires a different sense of skill than B2C marketing, which a lot of people might be more familiar with, particularly with the advent of social media and email marketing at the end of the day. And the reason is simple. The decision-making organ in an organization or a business is completely different from the decision-making organ with an individual. So if you want to sell something to an individual, maybe that person will speak to one or two other people, just get their opinions about it, especially if they don't know anything about it like that there. And they take a decision and let's say they move on from there fairly quickly. They don't require too many checks and so on and so forth. Or the person just takes a decision. So I like this thing and then they buy to subscribe and that's it. But with an organization, you have the decision-making organ can be, can involve multiple stakeholders at multiple levels. You'd be surprised that things as simple as even subscribing to a free service can require multiple levels of approval across multiple stakeholders in one organization at the end of the day. Engagement on a B2B, like I said, requires specialized skill sets. It requires you understanding what drives that organization. What are their pain points at that point in time? Because ultimately what you're trying to do is sell to them or help them sell better. So if you find what those kings are, those challenges are, then you can target your solution at them. For example, B2B podcasting. Because there's a podcast for almost anything out there. So how do you differentiate yourself in that space? It then comes with the content. It comes with the delivery of the content. And it comes with also how both work together in achieving the objectives of the client. And then, like I mentioned, it's targeting your solution to meet the challenges of the client. So what are their pain points? Let's say you have a client who's struggling to sell maybe business class tickets, for example, or first class tickets. They're struggling to sell it. And who are the people who typically buy first class? They're business executives, top organizations, so on and so forth. Maybe some government officials in certain instances. So you're trying to sell to them and trying to talk about podcasting and seeing how that might work. As an airline. Now, most airlines have such a bumper offering, so first class, it's quite a lot of things that people never really get to use. You could use that podcasting to draw out some of those things and highlight what those opportunities are, what those benefits are to them. And there's a difference between, because people don't buy features, they buy benefits. 
But ultimately, it's because they see that those benefits help them achieve certain things. So why are we spending fifteen, twenty thousand dollars on one ticket for one person as opposed to maybe ten, twelve thousand dollars for a business class ticket at the end of the day? Like that. What's the stark difference that we're gonna get? So it goes beyond highlighting the feature. It goes to beyond the highlighting just the benefits, but what does it help them achieve at the end of the day? Are you going to start looking for opportunities where you're sort of pairing people to create those things and saying, you know, these are some of the potential people you can engage with in here and seeing some of the challenges they're having. Where it's not just about the flight for the company as we're, we're talking about how some of the members can like networking opportunities within the members of that elite club in for F1 airline, for example, like that. And you can use podcasting to be able to highlight some of those things and you know, talk about those things there. It doesn't have to be long, the 15 minutes, for example, where you're showcasing not just the beds and how flat they are, how you have your own private enclosure, how you can have a shower on board. It's not just any of those things in there, but how you can have rich, meaningful conversations, how you can get more done while you're there, while you're 33,000 feet in the air, how you can have more and better interactions with different kinds of people in that sense, how you can be their solution partner to say, look, who are you looking to meet? And they say, oh, Maybe if they find somebody else, I don't know what some of those challenges are, but as an example, it's what I'm trying to say in terms of how do you help them draw some of those benefits? And that's where some of the content comes up in a creative way. You could use people's real life stories to create maybe a podcast that just a short story form podcast, but you use real life scenarios without using the real names. You build out stuff around that. that you know, executives can watch, they can see the value in that. You can make it a docu-series, for example, something that they're able to listen to and glean for, or green from and take an understanding to. So B2B in itself is very highly skilled, but the critical thing for B2B is understanding their pain points. If you don't understand their pain point, you're just trying to sell them what it is you have. In that sense, it could require a lot of resistance. And also B2B sales takes time. It's not an overnight thing. Again, because decision-making organ is not one person in most cases. Even if at the end of the day, one person will take the final decision but it goes up a chain or goes horizontally across a chain. And it's an understanding that I always have in the backup plan that requires constant communication, constant interaction with them, being patient with them. When you feel the thing is fading or fading away or fizzling away again, you know, boom, you find something to be able to touch base with them at the end of the day. Some they tell you typically most business sales could take you six, could take you maybe at the end of six months, some as much as nine months, some could take you one year, some 18 months, some 24 months depending on the size of the transaction. So it takes time. The offering has to be rich enough to be able to be worth their while and their time. And ultimately, it's you being able to ensure that will help them with their pain point. It's a very critical thing. And it doesn't matter how good your solution is. It doesn't matter how brilliant you think you are. If it's still meeting their pain point, it's not, then there's no value to them. And ultimately, it's that value creation that you need to find and sometimes it takes time. Sometimes I've seen a startup actually offer their services practically for free and say, we're building this. We don't know 100% how this will work out because we're sort of not new in the space, but we don't have all the insights we need. So we'll work with you in doing this. We'll gather all the data. And later on, once we stabilized everything, we'll then let you know how much we'll charge you for it at the end of the day like that. And so a company finds value in it. They say it's okay. They write them a check. That's it. And we're talking one year down the line, 18 months down the line. It's not so. There are different routes you with, depending on what you're selling, what you're offering. But it's always that engagement and figuring what their pain points are. 
And sometimes you can't even fix their pain points right away. You can't do it externally. Sometimes you have to be in there embedded in, in their inside their organization to figure it out as, at the end of the day. And startups need to be open and willing to do some of these things just to be able to cross that hurdle. Because once you do, then you start to scale from there. Yeah, that's again very, very insightful. Like you mentioned the word they embedded. So even in marketing, startups are marketers, you'll be able to think about embedded marketing for B2B, looking at which marketing addresses, pain points at each decision making level up until the final closure. I like the fact that you would approach this from best practice perspective. Say there's no other fast food on what medium is the that we need to use for B2B, for example. But it's really about the best practices. And it also reminds me of what you said at the beginning of this, saying that marketing allows you to work with different industries. Using a podcast for an airline, for example, might sound a little bit crazy for some, but if there is enough insights to support that, based on everything we've mentioned for product market sheets, then definitely it's something that would work and then that becomes a trend that others follow. It's been quite an interesting time. I think this is a very unpopular topic because people like the flashy stuff, but I encourage you listeners and viewers that if you follow this to the letter, you may be able to create more value for the business that you manage from a marketing perspective and even do well for your careers as well. So as we conclude this, I just wanted to ask you, time: where do you think marketers can, or even business leaders can find you? if they need help scaling their startups, most especially, but also if they need help with their marketing, the kind of marketing that helps companies to grow and scale. Well, the first thing I would say is they find you, they find me, but yeah, I'm mean, on LinkedIn. I mean, I think my details, my contact details are on LinkedIn for contact info on LinkedIn. Yeah. So send me a message on LinkedIn or you can send me an email and you'll be able to reach me easily. All right, guys, you can just search Taiwo Uliwani on LinkedIn and we'll also have uh, links to this as well on what's the podcast, on the podcast channels, on my website and some of the other details. So thank you, that everyone. That's all we have for today. And thanks for listening. There will be more episodes on dotsmobsmarketing.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Marketing Leadership Podcast on Apple and Spotify. Till next episode, connect the dots. Thank you for listening to the Marketing Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. There will be links to any resources mentioned in today's show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.